Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church, and I want to say a big thank you for listening to the broadcast today. This is actually part two of the broadcast that was started yesterday, and I'm entitling it The Game Changer. I don't know about you, but oftentimes as I watch a sporting event, I love how it goes down to the wire and then something happens and something will change that game. And uh, and you're thinking that your team uh, is going to lose and all of a sudden a change is made and they end up winning the game. Okay, as I think about life, so many times God brings changes in our lives with the mindset is that it's going to change our lives. And it's going to give us a new purpose, a new vision, a new vigor, if I could put it that way. And I think about Peter. And I love Peter. I guess I can relate to Peter maybe more than any other Bible character out there because uh, Peter was one of these impetuous type of people. Peter had that insert foot disease. Every time he opened his mouth, he'd insert his foot. And uh, he found himself in a world of trouble constantly. But I love the fact that he was willing to take some risks. And so getting out of the boat is what he did. And we read that story in Matthew chapter 14. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Now, Jesus has just performed an amazing miracle. I've taken a little boy's lunch, five loaves, two fishes, and multiplying it, feeding 5,000 men, and then there's 12 basketfuls left. And you would think at this time, with the crowd swelling, now they're finally fed, uh, they've been taught all day, that they would kind of just bask in the victory and kind of just hang out and say, man, what a great day, and just spend the rest of the evening celebrating. But Jesus says, no, no, you guys... You disciples, go get in that boat and uh, go across to the other side. I'm going to dismiss the crowd. I'm going to send them away. And it says, after they dismissed the crowd, that Jesus went up into the mountainside by himself to pray. And then later on that night, after he had spent some time praying, uh, he's there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. And as they're probably about halfway across the sea, uh, all of a sudden, this storm comes out of nowhere. And the waves are buffeting against the side of the boat. And, uh, and, and just before it was done, Jesus decides to go to them. And he does it by walking on the lake, walking across the water. And the disciples see him. And, and as they're looking out across the horizon, uh, and, you know, it's, it's just dark because it's not quite dawn. It's dark. It's just before dawn. And they're terrified. They say, man, there's a ghost coming across here. And then they cry out in fear. But immediately Jesus says to them, hey, guys, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. And then Peter, I love Peter. He's, he's the first one to speak up. He says, Lord, if that is you, tell me to come to you on the water. So Jesus says, okay, well, come on, Peter. Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, when he saw the, uh, all that was happening, he was filled with fear and he begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and he catches him and he says, you have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? Well, I love this story about Peter walking in the water, and I, I love the whole context of what happens in this amazing event in the life of the apostles. And we learned so much from this story. And, uh, and we learned that Peter was facing some really bad conditions, and it was a dangerous time for them. And, and we bring hope to you in realizing that there is an uncertain future uh, in our world today, but there's always been an uncertain future in our world as we know it. I mean, they were stuck in this boat halfway between two bodies of land, and now they're trying to figure out what in the world are we going to do. They're in the middle of this mess, the middle of this crisis, uh, too far from either shore. And the Chinese word for crisis is two characters. 
representing danger on one hand and a great opportunity on the other. Listen, these are dangerous times, but these are also great times for us to share the gospel. In uncertain times and dangerous times, I find that people are more receptive to the gospel. So trouble may be coming your way. I think Peter learned a valuable lesson on that day as he's walking on that water. When he disappoints the Lord, he begins to sink. I think Peter learned not to be surprised at trials when they come, because trials are meant to test us. So don't think it's something strange. Trials are meant to test us. Peter and the disciples were also living not only at a dangerous time, but they were living at a dark time. I mean, it was unclear what they were facing. They're looking across that sea, and they think they see a ghost. I mean, it's right before dawn. Ah, the psalmist reminds us, even the darkness is not dark to the Lord. The night is bright as day for God, for darkness is as light with you. I think Peter learned something very valuable in this time. I think he learned that in dark times, cast your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Peter was also experiencing not only a dark time and not only a a dangerous time, but he was facing a time of defeat. His strength was depleted. His vision was impaired. He's exhausted. Bad combination for a perfect storm. But we see here, Peter learned that he should love the Lord deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Even though he felt defeated and even though he felt exhausted, he got out of that boat and he began to walk upon that water. But what was different about Peter? And what's the takeaway from us? How can we live a different life in these times of storms? First of all, we learned that he traded fear for courage. Now, now courage is not the absence of fear. It's a change of, instead of being driven by fear, I'm being driven by courage. Peter realized that he needed courage. So the Lord says, take courage, Peter. Don't be afraid. Oh, maybe today you need to take some of that fear in your life and you need to be filled with courage. You need to trust God. You know that word encouragement and courage, they are related. When I begin to lose courage, I get discouraged. When I begin to be encouraged, it's because I'm getting my courage back. Ah, today, would you take that fear? Cast it upon the Lord because he cares for you. There's something else we see about Peter is that he followed his faith. He said, Lord, if it be you that's calling me out to come on that water, I'm going to do it. You see, faith directed Peter's footsteps. And he learned a valuable lesson. Walking by faith means living faith in light of eternal circumstances. You see, to walk by faith is to fear God more than you fear man. You see, the Bible often conflicts with our fears. Uh, The Bible tells us that perfect love drives out all fear. We are to be walking by faith. And I want you to know, even when you mess up, when you're sinking, as Peter was sinking, he cried out to the Lord. When he saw that wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. And he cried, Lord, will you save me? Well, I also want you to know, Peter learned some other valuable lessons as a result of this encounter on that Sea of Galilee many years ago. But as we look at this whole story of Peter, have you ever asked yourself, why do you do what you do? I mean, why do we do things that we shouldn't do? And we know we shouldn't do them, but we do them anyway. What held back those other disciples who didn't get out of that boat? Why did Peter get out, but the other disciples didn't? 
What was holding them back? Why didn't they do what they know they should have done? I mean, Jesus cried out to them as well. Well, I think the first reason is indecision. And you think about indecision. Somebody said indecision and delays are the parents of failure. James says, you know, when you ask for anything, you got to ask in faith, not doubting, because that one that doubts is like that surf of the sea, driven by the wind. That man shall not receive anything from the Lord because he's double-minded, he's unstable in all of his ways. Jesus says, why don't you just let your yes be yes and your no be no, and he says, anything else that is beyond that is of the evil one. Don't add a middle maybe in there. Don't add a middle, let me think about it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, there's another thing that I think that holds us back when we don't know or we don't do what we know we should do. I call it perfectionism, right? In Ecclesiastes 11.4, it says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you're going to get nothing done. There is no such thing as a perfect condition. In Philippians chapter 3, it says, not that I've already attained all of these things. I haven't become perfect, says Paul, but I'm pressing on. I'm going to hold on to that which I also laid hold of by Jesus Christ. Listen, you can't have a perfect condition to do anything. I was telling a young couple as I was counseling them not too long ago, I said, if you wait to have enough money to get married, you're never going to get married. If you wait to have enough money to go to college, you're never going to go to college. If you wait for the perfect time to start a new business, you're never going to have that perfect time to start a new business. There's no such thing as a perfect condition. If you're waiting for that perfect condition, you're going to get nothing done. I always look for right conditions, not perfect conditions. And I say, when is the Lord in this thing? What is the right timing? What is the right way for me to handle this? Because the conditions will never be perfect, but God's timing is perfect. Now, there's something else that we discover when we find ourselves not doing what we know we should be doing. It's not only perfectionism, it's not only indecision, but it's fear that holds us back. 1 Peter 3.13, Peter reminds us of something very important when it comes to fear. Peter says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Peter is reminding us that God is ultimately in control. And if you're doing the right thing, you're probably not going to suffer wrong, but sometimes you might. But even if you do, you're still blessed. Don't fear what they fear. Don't be frightened. Realize that God is ultimately in control. The sovereignty of God will protect you from fear. It will help you to overcome fear. The psalmist says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold in my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In other words, if God is my light and my salvation, He has given me direction, He's given me protection, I have nothing to be afraid of. He will protect me. The Lord is the stronghold in my life. He's the strong arms that are around me that are protecting me. Don't let fear overcome you. Somebody gave me a great acrostics for the word fear, F-E-A-R. It's false evidence appearing real. Don't go on false evidence. Realize that God is an ever-present help in our time of need. Now, there's something else I think that holds us back from doing what we know we should do, and I call it anger. James says, you know, what's causing all these fights and all these quarrels among you? He says, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you cover it, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Here we see that things that are inside of us, festering inside us, anger within us that causes us to have fights and quarrels. James says, 
We should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Don't let anger hold you back. You know, as a young man, anger was my Achilles heel. It didn't take too much to get me ticked off. I mean, I was like a ticking time bomb. Any little thing would cause me to lose my cool. But I've learned to trust the Lord. As a matter of fact, God has a way of taking your weaknesses and actually turning them into strengths. I had to ask the Lord to forgive me for being angry. I had to ask the Lord to transition me from being an angry person to a person who is driven by his purposes. I did a substitute is what I did. I said, Lord, all this energy that I'm wasting on anger, could I use that energy instead of for destruction? How about construction? Uh, Instead of tearing things up, how about building things up? And so I began to take that energy, that negative energy that was used in anger to something good. You know, when you think about how God wants to use you, there's a process. James gives us this process. Be quick to listen. You see, I didn't listen too well. That's why I got so angry. I didn't even understand what was going on. I just flew off the handle. I was very quick to speak, very slow to listen. James says, not only be quick to listen, but be slow to speak and slow to become angry. I had that verse inverted. I became angry quickly. I spoke quickly, and I refused to listen. I want to encourage you today. Anger is an emotion that God has given us. And sometimes that emotion will drive us to do something constructive. But sometimes that emotion will allow us to do or cause us to do something destructive. Why don't you pray right now that God will give you a victory over your anger? Why don't you memorize James 1.19? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Have two ears, so listen twice as much as you speak, and be very slow to become angry. Well, there's another thing that we see that is different about Peter. Peter overcame his indecision. Peter overcame the perfectionism that he struggled with. He overcame his fear. He overcame his anger. Uh, There's another thing I think that holds us back, and that is what I would call laziness. Sometimes we just get lazy. The sluggard says, you know, there's a lion coming on the road, and there's a lion in the streets. As a door swings on its hinges... So does a sluggard in his bed. The sluggard buries his head in a dish, and and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. In other words, he can't even feed himself. He's so lazy and so exhausted. But the Bible says the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Proverbs 26 has a lot to say about the sluggard. As a matter of fact, the whole book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the sluggard and the the lazy person. If you battle laziness, and, and you know, sometimes we all battle it from time to time. I'd encourage you to spend some time reading the book of Proverbs. As a matter of fact, if I could encourage you from God's word today, I would challenge you to read five Psalms a day and one proverb a day. Many years ago, somebody challenged me to do this. And and by doing that, you'll read through the book of Psalms every month and you'll read through the book of Proverbs every month. I think it'll change your life. Uh, You need the book of Psalms to give you that comfort that you need and that peace that comes from the Lord. But you need the book of Proverbs so that you can walk in wisdom Proverbs 13, 4 says, The sluggard craves and he gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. You know, Mark Twain loved to go fishing, but he hated to catch fish. The problem was he went fishing to relax, and catching fish would ruin his relaxation, since he had to take the fish off the hook and he had to do something with it. When he wanted to relax by doing nothing, people thought he was lazy. 
But if he went fishing, he could relax all that he wanted. People would see him sitting by the riverbank and they would say, well, look, he's fishing. Don't bother him. So Mark Twain had the perfect solution. He would take a fishing pole, a line, and a bobber, but he wouldn't put a hook on the end. He would cast the bobber into the water and just lay back on the bank. That way he could relax all he wanted and he would not be bothered neither by man nor fish. You know, Mark Twain is like a lot of Christians I know. They had their pole in the water, but there's no hook on the end. They're not fishing. They're relaxing. Now, do you think this is what Jesus had in mind when he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? Oh, my friend, I want you to know that the Lord expects us to do mighty things for him. And in doing mighty things for him, he empowers us from within. He gives us the ability to keep on keeping on. I think about game changers in our lives. You know, of all of you, Peter is one of these Christians that I really love because he had these characteristics about him. He was far from perfect, but he's one of these guys who understood the whole process of becoming mature because he was immature at one time, but then he became a mature follower of Christ. You see, mature Christians have lives that are lived out a little differently than those who are not quite as mature in the faith. Those who are mature have a harmonious unity with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if you're having trouble getting along with believers, what you're really saying is, I'm an immature believer. Because as a mature believer, who are all following in Christ, we're to live in unity with our brothers. Romans 14 is an exhortation that is given to us to live in harmony with one another. Don't be prideful but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Don't you love how he puts that together? Romans chapter 12, 16 talks about that unity that we have as we live with each other. And then Romans 14, 19 says, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual uplifting, living harmoniously with other believers. Jesus says, as you think about this harmonious relationship that we should have with believers, he says of the world, he says, when I came to this world, I didn't come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword for I've come to set man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. When you think about these words that Jesus is giving us, it almost seems contradictory. I thought Jesus came to give peace on this earth. No, Jesus came the first time to seek and to save those who are lost. And in bringing out redemption by giving himself as a sacrifice for humanity, he upset the apple cart. You see, before Christ came, there was no hope of being reconciled with God. It's all made possible because of the blood of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. So when he came and a father gets saved, that puts him at enmity with his family. A daughter against her mother, she gets saved and the mother doesn't. You see, when we think about what Christ has done for us, we have unity with Christ and we live harmonious with brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we are intentionally adversarial toward those who don't believe. It's unfortunate that that's what's going to happen. I mean, you just think about how they treated Christ when he was here on this earth. I mean, he went around healing everybody and uh, he went around being a blessing to everybody, feeding everybody. Whenever there was a need, he stepped in. He rose those who were dead. I rose them back to life. I mean, just an amazing ministry that Christ had. Wherever he went, he was a blessing to everybody. 
And what did they do with him? They tried him in a kangaroo court, and without a shred of evidence, they ordered him to be crucified. On Palm Sunday, they loved him unconditionally, or so it appears, and they were crying out, laying palm branches on the streets, hailing him as king, shouting out Hosanna, which literally means save us now. But Jesus didn't come to overthrow the Roman Empire. He came to offer himself as a sacrifice. Now, they should have picked up on that because he came in on a foil of a donkey and uh, he came on a donkey that was never ridden. He didn't come on a, on a stallion. He came in on a donkey as a lowly, humble servant, and they hailed him as king. And within less than a week, within a matter of four or five days, those same people who were crying, Hosanna, save us now, were yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. How fickle and how easy we change or how quickly we can change. You see, when Jesus came, he came to set the captives free. He came to forgive us of our sins. You know, when I think about living a life of harmony, you can live a life of harmony with other believers. It is so much expected, and we've given this power within us to live with others, and and we can be filled with sympathy, you know, uh, for other believers. And, and, And I think about how just right now, my church has been such a blessing to my daughter. And, and uh, as a matter of fact, I was kidding around, uh, and they set up a meal train, and, and they've got so much food coming to their house. I, I told them as I was on this uh, text link of everybody who's sending in meals, I said, I, I think uh, that I'm going to be having to make a pastoral visit every night uh, to my daughter right around mealtime, uh, knowing all these meals are going to be coming in. And I think about the sympathy that has been expressed to my daughter because uh, she had a very difficult time in, in labor and delivery, and, and God's people just rallied around her and are there to help her heal up uh, physically and emotionally, and just giving that sympathy toward her. You know, sympathy is that capacity to feel deeply for somebody, uh, and, and in fact, you, you actually share in that experience. Sympathy says, I understand what you're going through, and, and what you feel is not strange, it's not crazy. And, and I'm going to feel it right along with you. That's the power of the church. The church is to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Paul told the believers at Colossae, he says, as holy people, be sympathetic, be kind, be humble, be gentle, and be patient. You know, Max Licato suggests this scenario. You come home one day and you're cranky because a deadline got moved up. And then she came home cranky because the daycare forgot to give you a five-year-old her throat medicine and and each of you wanting a little sympathy from the other, but neither get any. So there you sit in the in the dinner table, cranky and grumpy. Then little Emily, your daughter, comes in and Emily folds her hands and she begins to pray as she had been taught. And the two of you bow your heads, but not your hearts, and you listen from where this little prayer comes God only knows. God, it's Emily. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Mom and dad are mad. I don't know why. We've got birds and toys and mashed potatoes and each other. Maybe we can get them to stop being mad. Please do so. Or it's just going to be me and you having a little fun tonight. Amen. Can you imagine such a powerful prayer? That that prayer is answered before it's even finished. Both mom and dad look up in the middle, and they start laughing and shaking their heads. 
and saying, we're sorry, and both thank God for that little voice who reminded them what really matters. You know, life is brief. James says your life is as a vapor that appears for a little while, and then it's gone. Only one life that you get to live, and so soon it's going to be gone. Can I encourage you to walk with your brothers and sisters in Christ with brotherly love? Paul says, let us love one another with brotherly affection. And then he takes it the next step. He says, outdo the love that you show for one another by showing honor. And then he says in Hebrews 13, 1, let brotherly love continue. And that will continue on as we're compassionate people for people of the faith. Well, thank you so much for listening today. You know, every Thursday morning, we gather together a group of people and we pray for you. And I'd love to take your prayer request before our team. Uh, You can shoot me a text at 252-267-2365. If you're listening to the broadcast and you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can go to our church website, hrcc7.org, or just Google in Hickory Ridge Community Church, Chesapeake, Virginia, and you can listen to the broadcast of this message. Thanks again for listening. I'm praying for you. Give me a call if I can help you, 252-267-2365. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.